We got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about this week. We have some very exciting action in the ILT20 featuring a couple of Americans. The anticipation of even more American cricketers featured in that league. Got a little bit of talk about the U19 loss to Ireland and just some little bit of speculation about what's going on with the national selection for the national championships. First of all, how, how are you doing? How was your weekend? My weekend was good, Ned. It was good. I'm happy to be back on here. I was in D.C. Actually, so your realm, your neck of the woods, but it was cold to be up there. I had a true snowball fight for the first time, which was really fun. I was happy to be up there in Virginia, but good to be back on the show. The fir- your first time having a snowball fight? Like, true is North Carolina, we get ice. Like, very rarely do we get, like, true, like, powdery snow. It's like once every five years or something, and so this was, like, the first time where I was like, there's a lot of snow on the ground. Like, you, sometimes you... They get enough to make one snowball or two snowballs and you throw it at each other. That's <laughs> the day. But when you get to up to Virginia, yeah, out of my uncle and aunt's front yard, there's just snow everywhere. So me and all the kids and uncle and aunt just came out there, threw it around. So it was fun. That's cool. Yeah, I was uh, watching some football yesterday. I watched the, that first game with a buddy of mine watching the Ravens. I really like Lamar Jackson. I think that this is the Ravens year, I think. They just looks like such a good team, but but yeah, this is the most exciting time as a football fan. We have we had the sad news this week of SI Sports Illustrated firing everybody, and when I was yeah, it's a huge deal. I I remember when I was a kid in the eighties and nineties, it was massive. I got Sports Illustrated one year for my birthday, and I got it for several years after that. And I just remember football season was perfect for SI. It would come, you'd get it every like Thursday. You didn't have the Thursday night games at the time. You just you got a preview of the week to come and a look at the week behind you. And it was football season and SI just went together so well. So I'm pretty sad about that loss. Yeah, I think it's just the technology, I think, finally caught up with something you never thought technology would catch up with in the sense of no one's waiting till Thursday to read all the stories. We got it the second the game ends. But the covers were awesome. The covers are some, that's the most iconic thing about Sports Illustrated. I'm interested to see maybe they do like a graphic design thing where they have like online covers and things like that. That could be interesting way to keep the tradition going or maybe not i don't know but that was a good run if this is the truly the end of it yeah what a shame i remember the faces in the crowd feature i used to love that when i was growing up and i used to just dream about getting my name and my face there for doing some amazing thing in sports in high school or something but basically just going two for five just about every game with a double here and there, it's not going to get you in the faces in the crowd. Nate, look, there's a reason we're on the we're on the podcast and we're not out there actually doing the game we're talking about. We're we're sitting here talking about. It. There's a reason for it. And I didn't go two for five every game, so whatever. But yeah, maybe that's, that's a cricketing stat. That's a great stat, though. That's your bowling stats. This is a great stat. Oh, absolutely, that's fantastic. Yeah. Unfortunately, we didn't have cricket in high school, and I think we're a little bit a ways away from that even now. But let's talk a little bit first about some feedback from our awards show last week. There were a couple things in particular. One person pointed out to me very fairly that we left out the U19 Women's World Cup in our moments of the year portion where we talked about seven moments that meant the most to us throughout the year. And honestly, I think that might just be a little bit of recency bias and not in terms of we're biased against that because of the things that happened since, but the things that happened since made us think that happened the year before. Yeah, 100%. And you said the Women's World Cup, the Iron Team Women's World Cup, I, my first reaction, it was December, right? That like goes 2022, December. And then you're like, no, the actual event happened in January. I was like, you're right. But I think for us, it was like we had the big send-off for our North Carolina girls in December of 2022. So that moment for us felt 
2022 December. But absolutely, that that that's you know this is the first time it's ever happened. We got to see the USA involved in that. That is a moment that stands out amongst the rest. How do we miss that? I don't know, but I thank you for whoever pointed that out. Yeah, it was actually th- thank you. It was Sindhu Sriharsha. Thank you very much, Sindhu. That was thank you, Sindhu. Thank you, Sindhu. She was happy with us naming her as International Player of the Year, but she reminded me very politely that that we forgot that. Very sorry to everybody that we forgot that. The one other thing I heard was a couple of people having the opinion that Shayan Jahangir should have been the breakout player of the year instead of Ayan Desai. I think that's totally a fair opinion. I, I really do. We tossed around so many different criteria for that, which made it fun, but made it really convoluted, honestly. I think that's totally fair to, to say that he deserves that award. It's, But we didn't give it to him, but it's fair to say. I, I, I don't think Shine is going to be missing the big innings award. I don't think it means too much, that much to him, but he had a great year. The century and the World Cup qualifiers, and it was a big-time century when the USA kind of fell apart, and then he got it going. And it was very, it was the kind of strike rate that you're looking for, good minor league, and Major League with MI struggling up top of the order became the one spot they could count on in the top three. He was terrific. In New York, for the USA, for minor, for in minor league cricket, no matter where he went, he was so good this year. So that's a totally valid argument for Cheyenne Jahangir being the breakthrough player of the year. And I think one of the most impressive things about him is in his domestic cricket, he's often playing at the top of the order. Yeah. When you get on a team like USA, you, you got to be versatile. You have to find a spot. They need the best batters playing where they need them. And for him, that was a little bit lower down the order than he's used to, and he's and still performed. Really. And, like, and, but that, I think that's what USA's been missing. We have a lot of top-order players. What we struggle is in the middle and in the lower order, those kind of brute, big-time scores, quick run getters that we just don't really have in USA cricket too often. And Cheyenne kind of came in and seamlessly filled that gap. So... Like we said, this award could have easily gone to him, and he was definitely deserving of. Now to our most relevant piece of immediate news, we got Andre's house, who scored 95 not out from 50, and Ali Khan took three wickets for 29 runs, both in the same game for the same team, for the Knight Riders down there in the ILT20 against the Sand Vipers. That's really, that's amazing. Look, Andre's house... When I came around to paying attention to cricket this mid-morning and I saw that he scored 95 not out, I was not that surprised, but I was very excited for him. Yeah. We've said it for a long time. This guy might be the best batter, best, the best domestic batter in the U.S. There's no real argument against it. Wherever he goes, he scores, and he scores at a high clip, at a high strike rate, uh, top, up top the order. We saw it with the Seattle Thunderbolts. We saw it this season with the Dallas Mustangs, whether it was in Major League with the Washington Freedom. And this is a guy who also has some experience out there on those Abu Dhabi tracks when he's playing in the T10 plays out there in Abu Dhabi and would have been accustomed to that earlier this year. And once he gets going, he's so fun to watch because I think you've talked about this, that he's a guy who can score in so many different ways. He can go the aerial route and just be brute all over. But then there's that class that he just touch it. There's a great touch and great finesse in his game too. He's an all-around bat and... He's a joy to watch when he gets going, and not surprising he did this. Happy he did this, and look, I'm hoping he can do this wearing some red, white, and blue. So. Oh, no question. Like you said, we've seen him score big for in T10. We saw him score, I think, 70-some last year. He had a couple of 40-plus run innings this year. We know what he's capable of doing. I don't. I can't think of a league he's played in where he hasn't showed his class, 
where he hasn't showed that he's a good player. And almost every league he's played in, he's dominated, domestically speaking at least. He was a good contributor in Major League. We only had a five-game-long Major League cricket season this, this past year. It's hard to judge anybody based on that, but he was one of the standout batters uh, in, in my eyes. In, in the more advanced statistics, he he contributed above, slightly above average, above the league average. And it was a hard league for openers, too, the the Major League Cricket. We went a long time without a good performance from an opener. Uh, we had one, I think, early, and then we didn't have one for games for several days. And then finally, we had a couple of guys stand up from the top order towards the end in the playoffs. But yeah, he's just proven himself, especially in minor league cricket. He's been, he was the MVP this year. He was our domestic batter of the year for the year of 2023. This is one of the players that we're getting close to the World Cup, to the T20 Men's World Cup. And he's going to be eligible, I believe, by the end of April. So he's one of the players that I really want to look forward to seeing in the USA squad. He can help us out a lot. He's a wicket keeper. He's a good wicket keeper, too. And we have, yes, we do have a lot of good wicket keepers. But Andres is separating himself from everybody else in the country as we speak. And he's forcing his way in the team. Yeah, like, uh, when you get to World Cups, when you look at selection all around the world, a lot of it matters of who's in form. And while I feel that this guy's been in form for about four years, this guy just doesn't stop scoring runs. And again, sometimes people will say, oh, we have the wicket keeper, that slot's already filled. But this is a great way to keep your name involved. Andre says just every single time he goes out there is giving you more and more reason to say, hey, look, this guy, we have to make room for this guy. He has to be in this team has to be opening the batting for our team because if he scores 95 off 15 World Cup game, could you imagine what the rest of our lineup can do around him? This is a guy who is a feels like a building block, a foundational piece for a very good team. And again, I think I put a tweet out earlier. I said, if this guy's not picked, I don't know what to do because I don't know what more he can do to get selected between really now and uh, June. You have the National T20 Championships, and I'm hoping... He outperforms everybody there because he needs to be a part of this side. He's doing it against the best, some of the best players in the world right now. Yeah. And so if he, even if he doesn't face a single ball in the Nationals, he's got to be in this team. I, I think if he's not in this USA World Cup team, there's serious problems that need to be looked into. It's just so obvious. We've This would be like not having Ali Khan in the team. And Ali had a great game too. You know, I think Ali Khan, maybe he's back in, in that form that we expect from him so much. He's been in and out of it a little bit this year, this last year, but it's great to see him performing the way he is right now in that ILT20. But I want to talk a little bit about Andre's stats. When he first came to the USA, I looked at his stats like I did with all the other players. But you see a player who's good in all three formats that he played in. You know, you've got a guy who's a 41.6 average in first-class cricket in 60 matches. That's pretty darn good. You've got a guy with 3,700 runs there and a high score of 256 in first-class cricket. That's nuts. In list A cricket, he's got an average of 37.97 at a strike rate of 87.41. We could use that in the ODI team, certainly. Yeah. Uh, His high score in list A cricket is 163 not out. His high score in T20s is 101, and he's uh, scored uh, at an average of 32 over 43 T20s at a strike rate of 138.66. And of course, we know he's done even better here domestically. He's got numbers that blow those out of the water domestically here in the USA. 
We've talked about how he looks so good. He can score in so many different ways. And when you got a guy who can do that, of course they're going to translate across four minutes. No, hundred percent. Again, it's not just that he scores runs because there's a lot of people who score runs, but it feels like they're kind of a one trick pony. That if you take away this one scoring area, you shut them down. He can score anywhere around the ground. And again, he's very traditional. Doesn't play a lot of the ramps, but can do it. But then again, that the cover drive so sweet, so nice. Can go over the top, over covers, over long on, over mid wicket. Isn't threatened by the short ball. Gets on top of it nice. It gets onto the back foot quickly. So again, this is a guy who just does it all. And you mentioned the stats coming from South Africa. We could use those stats here in the USA. There's just there's no way around that. And again, it's not like there's been a sudden drop of form and you're hoping that he's going to translate and pick it up during the World Cup. He's shown you that it's translating. It's working. And now he's done all the hard work. Now you just have to pick him. And if you're a USA selector, pick him because he is in the best of I don't think there's any doubt about that from really many people in this country. No, I think that I really do believe that the selectors even feel this way. I think when you look at the history of first-class players or players from full-member nations coming to associates and playing in associates after they wait their three years, yeah. they don't always shake out. In fact, most of the time they don't. And, and they don't. you, yeah, they don't stand out usually about above many others. Now, we have an exception right now in Gajanan Singh who – is standing out above everybody internationally in in the USA and has throughout his USA tenure. But a lot of times you get these guys from full member nations or, or even former uh, full member internationals who go to an associate nation and after three years of living there and putting in their time, they come out and they average 18 with the bat. And that's so common in associate cricket. Here's where I see a major difference, right? A lot of these nations up in, up until now, especially before the last couple of years, if you moved to Abu Dhabi or something, if you if you moved to the United Arab Emirates, for example, from India, and you played three years of domestic cricket in the United Arab Emirates before now, before they have the ILT20 and things like that, if you did that in the 20-teens, you were going to take a serious step down for three years and, and right. before you've got back, before you earned your way to get back at that step up for your national team. And that is a tough transition. International cricket's no joke. So they're dealing with the same. Now, all of a sudden, a player who's come over from a full member nation is dealing with the same struggles that a domestic player that's already there is dealing with. And here, during his time here, cricket has been on the rise. The standard of cricket in the USA domestically has gone up quite tremendously, thanks to Major League Cricket, Thanks to uh, obviously thanks to Minor League Cricket mostly, because Major League's only been one season. But now we have, you know, we just have a better group of players. They have a more organized group of players. The Opens are better than they were before. We used to basically only have the U.S. Open. Now we have we have other events that happen around the calendar. Cricket is more, it's tougher here than it's ever been. The, the standard's been higher than it's ever been. I don't yeah. expect a guy like Andres, who now is proving that he can still play it, at, he can play at a very high level right now as he plays against some of the top players in the world in the ILT20. I don't expect him to have that dip when he suddenly steps into the USA national team because he's proven that he can handle this the, the higher level better than a lot of our own international players can. He possesses that grit. He's a smart cricketer, and nothing really phases him. He doesn't get too high. doesn't get too low. He's very, And I think that's something that, again, you mentioned, we have all the leagues now, and we, he's playing really high competition, but he's not someone who's 
going to get affected by the things around him. It almost feels like he is so assured in what he can do that he's going to play his game. And he understands how to play his game in multiple different facets, how to change his gears the way he needs to help the team. And I think that's he's so mature and he has that aspect that maybe not a lot of other cricketers have. And I think that's what separates him just beyond, hey, like you mentioned, cricket is tougher here than it's ever been because you have minor league and now major league and the USPL and these all these leagues popping up and you're playing the kind of the same ace players that are coming in and more and more of these guys are coming in playing really high level cricket. But it's also, I think, a, it's a statement and it's a, te- a testament of how good Ajax Kaus is because he his ability to just not let let the things around him affect his ability to go out there and do what he does best is, is something that's truly special. Yeah, and I think even with our own national team, the guys who stand out the most to me are the most consistent ones, the ones that perform. You know, depending on your role, you can get away with performing once every three games or something. But the guys who find some way to contribute every single game, the Sorabs, the Nosh Kenjigays, the Gajanan Sinks, the Cheyenne Jahangirs, these are the guys that they don't just have one hugely wonderful game and then disappear from four games. You know, you can count on Sorab every single game. And I think Andres is one of the type of players, or he has been at least, who can do that sort of, give you that sort of consistency that's so rare in international cricket at the high at the highest level of franchise cricket. I think he's one of those guys that you can count on more often than not. And that's why I think he has to be one of the first names on that World Cup team. Agreed, agreed. I th- again, we can go on and on raving about Andres Klaus, but it's, it's about consistency. It's about what you can bring to the team. It's about your ability to fill roles. And Andres Klaus is check. He does it on every single level. And he's not the only USA guy who had a great day today. We we mentioned Delhi Khan and kind of glazed over him. And again, he's a guy you want to see more consistency out of. As of late, he's one of the greats of USA cricket. So flamboyant. He's so easy to root for as a USA cricketer, as a cricketing fan. And if he can continue this form that he's really found, where he's finding the slower balls, the Yorkers, the, and he's able to do the things he wants to do with the movement that he gets. Again, his numbers here... And his four overs took three wickets for 29 runs. Those three wickets were big wickets at crucial periods of time. And that's when Ali Khan's at his best. He's taking wickets, yes, but he's taking wickets at big moments. And he's, the moments it aren't getting too big for him. That's the reason he's been on the Knight Rider CPO roster for so long. You talk, Look at his wickets. A lot of them come in finals, and they come in big moments in finals. And so when he's bowling like that, there's no, there's no more impactful player for the bowling department in USA Cricket. And... This league, the ILT22, there's just there's a lot of American cricketers in this league. We got Saurabh and Nash who have yet to play. Corey just played one inning so far, scored just one run, didn't bowl. I'm curious to see if Corey bowls in this league after bowling. He actually bowling was his best, the best thing he did in the BBL. So I'm, I'm curious to see if we can get Corey back into rhythm here, back in back into the stride that he was in this summer, which was fantastic. He was in incredible knock this last summer. If he can get back into that, if he can get those gears going, that's another exciting thing for us to talk about. Sorab and Nosh cannot wait until they play. I have every belief that they will appear in games in the ILT20. They're just too good to leave out of the team for the entire season. But yeah, this league is worth watching if you're an American cricket fan. Yeah, it is. It is. You're going to get to see some of the better USA cricketers. And again, as, as hope, if, if these four, five guys can get going, 
they're all going to make noise for that national team because Chaba, only two of them are part of that T20 national team at the last time we played T20s. Nosh wasn't part of them. Andres wasn't eligible to be, and Corey wasn't eligible to be. Now all five of them are. We'll see with how what, how many of these five end up playing for that national side. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's move on to some kind of more somber news, which was we can be depressed collectively about the U19 loss to Ireland. <laughs> what a shame that was. This was supposed to be in a lot of people's minds and eyes. This was going to be a team that they had a chance to beat or have a really good game against. I don't think a lot of people are expecting a ton from the USA U19 team right now. As we've mentioned yeah. in the past, they don't quite have the pedigree of the last U19 team that didn't really have the chance to even compete. So that really, I've said that I've mentioned that probably too many times because it doesn't matter. What matters now is that these boys are there. They're representing the USA and we're supporting them. And they did not have a good game. They had a pretty dreadful game, especially Batting-wise, bowling, it was hard to even judge. You can't even really judge them. They didn't put any runs on the board hardly to to put up any kind of a reasonable defense unless they just had a, the game of their lives with the ball, everybody collectively. But yeah, they score 105 runs in the first innings. They didn't really... Only the top scorer on the team was Kush Balala at, at number 9. And yeah. actually, the high scorer was before, after him was Extras at 19 from, uh, from Ireland, who it's really the way that they bowled as well as they bowled. Looking back at it, it's crazy to imagine that they, that they even had that many extras. That's how good their bowling looked to me. Ruben Wilson, Oliver Riley, Carson McCullough, these guys, these youngsters on this Ireland team looked really good with the ball. I think there weren't a lot of people who had high hopes, high expectations for the USA under-19 team in terms of winning games, right? And I don't think we were ever going to judge the success and their, their success based off of how many games did you win. Yes, you want to win a game. You want to win games. It, it's nice to win. But you wanted to see a team that could that was as hungry as they were in the qualifiers, right? During that qualifiers, that this was the most talented team that was there. It was not. But it felt like the most put together. It felt like they would fight for every single run. And that was the kind of team I think we were looking for. If they could carry that, there'd be some entertaining cricket. Uh, I think Peter Delapena put it quite perfectly. After Arya Garg's really opening spell, it didn't really feel like USA had any bite, any fire in, in their bowling attack, in that field. It was just more, we're going to let the game get by and just hope that something happens. It's only 105 on the board. And Again, it's hard to judge bowlers because there's only 106 runs to go chase. I mean, the disappointing thing on the day is going to be the bat. But I think it's the fight that was missing because we've seen that this side have that very fight, have that very, hey, no matter what the situation is, we're going to find a way to get a win. We're going to we're gonna figure it out whether it's raining, whether there's reduced overs, whatever. We're going to figure it out. And I now you're at this stage, at this level, this is your time where you're playing with how Texans yesterday said they hated the phrase playing with house money. But that's what the USA under-19 cricket team is. You're playing with house money. You are supposed to be there anyway. So now I'll go out there, fight for everything. And I just don't, I think we came a little bit short of that goal. Would have been nice. Yes, Ruben Wilson was unbelievable. That ball to dismiss Sudi was unbelievable. So yeah, played across a bit, but the ball swinging back, swinging away. He was great throughout the day. You mentioned the bowlers just were, were so very good, and it was hard to bat. But I think it was that fight that I think led a lot of us down. 
Yeah, I think we can pick out a little bit of everything that was wrong with each wicket, with each batter. It, it was hard to find a whole lot of good things that they did, to be honest with you. I think the, the ball that Surrey played across the line, I think you have to anticipate that ball is coming when you have a bowler of that quality bowling from over the stumps like he was to a lefty. I think that you just have to anticipate that, that you're going to get that ball at some point. It's coming. Right. And playing you know, a cross. Yeah. yeah, sure. Exactly. But that because the ball moved there, the ball moved in the air. And that just, to me, it was, the ball was moving a little bit in the air, of course, because it does with the new ball. The bounce is what got him the most. It seemed that he really struggled with that bounce. And I, Ireland really could have just left two slips in just all day long. It seemed like the way that USA was, they weren't playing the most intelligent shots. They weren't playing the most convicted shots. They didn't have a lot of conviction. And edging to the keeper as often as they did, it was really frustrating to see. And, of course, they went into a shell like you're going to do when, you, when you're when losing wickets fast. But what what really got me is the fact that, yes, Aryugar came in, took a couple wickets early, right? And I'm thinking, okay, that this is cool. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can. You're in the game. It's a, it's a similar in spot, the right? USA was 6-1, right. Aryugar makes it 5-1. for one. Pretty similar situation. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm thinking, okay, maybe here they can get, they can just hold off Ireland for 35 overs or so, make them really earn this. They weren't able to do that. Ireland chases it down in 22.5 overs. What That makes me ask this question. If we get Ireland out for 105 in the first innings, if Ireland's batting, we get go bananas and we get them out for 105. Right. Do we chase this down in, in 22.5 runs? Or do we go into a shell and conservatively just try to do it and it takes us 35, 40 overs. And I feel like the way that USA batted and the they didn't seem to back themselves and seeing that attitude, they wouldn't have chased this down in 22.5 overs if the shoe was on the other foot. You know what I'm saying? No, I agree. And I, and I think there's a little bit of probably nerves to do with it, right? This is a bigger stage. Our buddy Dane Pete was sending us some videos of the team buses and this is like Probably some of the biggest, some of the highest level that they've played, the highest level that the, these boys have played, and a lot of social media coverage, right? there. You can see the ICC is making a real effort to promote the USA cricket team with the dances and playing, riffing on names and different things. They are really heavily pushing the USA cricket team, which is a very good thing for the USA cricket team and these boys to get exposure, but it also comes with new eyes, and these kids have social media, right? And these kids are looking at these things, and they, they're seeing these posts and I'm sure they're looking at comment sections. I'm sure there's some of these things getting to them. And it's how do you keep at, at 18, 19? So some of these kids are you know 17 years old, 16, 17. Some of these kids are 19 at that, that age range. How do you keep your emotions in check? How do you keep yourself in check and not go into yourself? I, I got to just keep in here and just play cricket, right? I think that's what it is. Let's go out there. Let's just play cricket. I think that's got to be the mindset for the next match is, because you're right, we wouldn't have chased us down in under 23 overs. That just wasn't going to happen if we if the shoe was on the other foot. Because we probably would have had a real slow opening, a power play that maybe gives us 30-odd runs. We try not to lose a wicket. And then from there, push on and try to just get it up to the bare minimum we need. And we probably take the full quota of overs. That's probably how the game would have, if we were to have successfully chased it, that's how it would have probably gone. But I think it goes from just you know, little nerves. And I think if you are the coaches down there, the mindset now is, hey, look, all right, so it happens. Everybody gets nerves. 
let's go out there. Let's play cricket next game. We're just playing. We're just here to play cricket. Leave the phones at home. Let's go 48 hours. None of that. Let, let's make sure that we are locked in to just play cricket. You mentioned the social media posts. Sam, they, some of them were it, a little bit cringy. Not the kids' faults. I want to point out. Not the kids' faults. It is nice that they're making an effort, but... How old were these guys? How old were you when the Harlem Shake was a thing, for example? Yeah, like to, uh, to be fair, yeah. Now, to, the funny story, I remember like in second or third grade, we used to do that in gym class. If it feels like we were stuck inside, that'd be like our warm-up or gym class. That and the right. shot slide. That was, that was what those things were. The cha-cha slide at least is a little more universal. Nobody asked right. how old were you when the cha slide was a thing because it's still a thing. I, I just thought, man, these kids, I bet they've never done the Harlem Shake before, except for in gym class when they were in second grade. And I just thought it was a strange choice, a really strange choice. It's not really a trendy thing right now. No, it's, it's not. I, yeah, I, it, it felt weird because I was watching and I was like, okay, all right. It's not like they're doing the Harlem Shake in it either, but it's fun. Right. It's cool. It, it's a little dorky, but that's what kids are. We're dorky. And so like, yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll... nobody wants to be dorky in front of millions of people. But I'm okay with a little personality. I think that's his fault. I think Ryan was the, was the right guy to do the dancing. <laughs> I think they picked the right one to do. It wasn't the worst thing ever, and it was funny. It was it was entertaining, and yeah, like you said, there was some personality. It wasn't the worst thing ever. But what bothered me more than anything else was the comments. Oh, my God. These comments. It's the whole, like, oh, look, India Team Part 2. Or it was just... It was disgusting it, to see so many of these comments happening every single time they post anything with the USA guys. It's have you talked to these guys? Have you seen the way that these guys? They're they were born and raised here, most of them. And who cares if they were or not? They are all qualified as US, USA cricketers. I think it was cool to see Abhidham Balasamagari. He put a comment under the I'm, and he probably got it too, right? He used to play the under nineteen team. It was twenty twenty yeah. one and the cycle before, and he goes. 12 of the 15 guys in this squad were born in the USA, and all of them were raised in the USA. These kids yeah. are amazing. And I thought that was great. I love that he put his hand up and said, as someone who is an X under 19 player, these kids are American. I'm American. We play right. for the USA team. We are the USA team. Nothing yeah. else. And I, right. I think that was, I thought of all, all the crap, whether it's India B, India C, this, that, the other, to see that from. An X under 19 player was really cool, really special. And I think it, it shows how much these these kids are proud to wear the the letters USA and the red and white and blue on on their back because they they are American and they feel it within them. Right. Yeah, and we're proud that they're there. It's hundred percent. We're proud of them. We want them to do well. This was a bad game. Put it behind you. Don't even listen to people like us talking like that we're talking for our, for each other for the fans and things like that things like that just go there buckle down a man up a little bit i guess you could say but really regardless of all that talk just, just go there have a good time remember why you're there you're have there fun. because you're the best country. the best cricketers in the united states for the under 19 age group and go have fun that's it you did all you did all hard work to get here go have fun play cricket in south africa as we talk about the U19 World Cup, an interesting thing was discussed on the broadcast. They mentioned that 27% of U19 players who appear in a World Cup go on to represent their men's national senior team. 27%, so about one in four. It's really impressive. It goes to show the turnover in international cricket as a, at a senior level when you have these U19 cycles every two years, right? Most of the full members, the full member teams are in the World Cup every time. And a quarter of them 
who are in this tiny little window of probably 17 to 19 year olds, a quarter of these guys do represent their, their national men's senior team at some point. That reflects a good domestic structure in their full member nations. That, re that reflects a ladder that has all of the rungs on it. Infrastructure and coaching and a good fleshed out domestic system that already exists to take you up that ladder. That's what that reflects. Now, when I hear that and I apply that to USA, there is no way, there's no way that our percentage of players who have played on the U19 men's team that go on to play for the men's team from the U19 team, there's no way that that's even more than 5%. In the USA, historically, we've gotten all our bar players from overseas who move here for probably another reason and played at a high level, maybe India 19, U19, maybe some other level for first class somewhere, move here for school, for a, a master's degree or move here for, for work, and then basically stay here three years and end up playing for the USA national team. That's how our history has gone with, with our international players up until about 2021. That's how it went. It, that reflects the, 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 the truth that we don't, up until three years ago, we had no real domestic system in the USA. We got no real infrastructure. We had no real turf in the USA until about three years ago. Yeah. You're right. I think the obviously what's been lacking is our domestic structure. And beyond just the success and failures in terms of the win-loss column, the success and failures of the bridge between the under-19 team and the USA national team has never really been there. How many really good cricketers have we said, oh my God, if they were to take a couple of steps they'd be really good and they're going to make a big impact for USA. We've lost a lot of those cricketers. I mean, I think in the last couple of years, that's where we've seen the biggest jump for USA cricket. Guys like Butzel Vagella, after the first year of minor league cricket, he got picked up for that Ireland tour. When they came to, when Ireland came here and took a couple of wickets, probably should have had one more, dropped one off his own bowling. Uh, a guy like Yasser Muhammad, maybe not directly due to minor league, but because he's a leg spinner, has some minor league success, I said, all right, let's get you involved. Ali Sheikh to a degree as well. Same kind of situation. Rahul Jodiwala, he was going to be part of the ODI team in that Ireland series before that the ODIs, because of COVID, got canceled and whatnot. But there was a lot of young talent part of that Irish series. You put out that tweet that most of the wickets in uh, those two T20s were taken by USA Under-19 guys. And th there was something that you're thinking, wow, we're getting Under-19 cricketers from the USA to get to the national team and impact games. And so they're going to do this for a long time coming. And so that's the beautiful part about what minor league has done, what major league is going to continue to do, and what the domestic structure is now allowing is now there's a streamline. There's at least some kind of connection between the USA Under-19 team and the USA national team. There's something in the middle that when you're not playing for the USA Under-19 team, when you're aged out of that, you can play in this cir circuit and get, your, get yourself in front of the eyes of the select. Yes, yes. And because of that minor league, we now have turf. We now have hybrid wickets. In large part because of minor league cricket, because of major league cricket, their influence on the domestic scene, their direct action on the domestic scene has created this. And so we can look forward as long as this, as long as there's harmony between USA and major league cricket. That is such a necessary thing. If there's harmony between these two, we can look forward to more. We can look forward to more Sanjay Krishnamurthy's. These guys who played on the U19 team at one time were selected into the U19 team in their case and went go on to play for the men's national team. And before that, though, 
going back to 2018, between 2018 and 2021, I'm trying to think of the number of guys on that that played on that team that played U19 for USA that, that have played on the men's senior team. I can only think about three. I might be wrong. I might be wrong by a couple, but that's three out of probably 25 different faces that have appeared on that team. And that is yeah. a long, far cry from 27%. I think we can look forward to this. A lot of people want to separate the major league cricketers from the from our real American cricketers or whatever, and I think that's the wrong thing to do. Those guys were brought here, they've lived here, they've gone by the rules. Once they're eligible, they should be they should be in that group of people that are eligible to be selected by the selectors. They sh- the selectors should have full freedom and license to pick them. And we talked a little bit about in the past about Arjun Mahesh being left out of this U19 team. Meanwhile. USA decided to ride the guys that took them to the Men's World Cup Global Qualifier. Now, they didn't do that this time with the U19 team. Our Arjun Mahesh is a big reason why they made it to, to the World Cup in the first place. And he's in the reserves. He's not on the part of this team. And instead, they brought in players who had performed well in a couple of games here in the U19 Nationals. So that makes me wonder what they're going to do with this men's team in the World Cup. They didn't ride the guys that got them to the U19 World Cup. They didn't do that. They did do that with the other World Cup, where we're just assuming that was their reasoning, that they're just going to ride the guys who took them there. But it does seem like they put some put, a, put an awful lot of weight on the U19 National Championships. It seems like they put a lot of weight on those performances. That kind of tips the hand of a lot of the rumors we're hearing. We're hearing concerns that USA Cricket's only going to look at the men's T20 nationals when they choose this World Cup team, that they're not going to consider uh, minor league pr- cricket performances, which is to me crazy. I'm yeah. not sure if I'm not sure how much of this I believe, but it does make you wonder, especially because those guys we just talked about, the U19 players who went on to represent the US team and since 2021, those guys, the way that you justify them to be selected into the men's national team is through their minor league cricket for performances by and large. Jarawala performs very well in minor league cricket in that time period, and he gets the promotion. Simon Kamala, another guy who who gets promoted into that that men's senior team. And if you're not looking at minor league cricket performances, you don't pick those guys into your men's national team. You do if you you very much do if you look at minor league performances and you say these guys are performing well above average against the top senior players and overseas that we can get in the USA. They're young. Let's put them in the team. They're, they look like they might be ready, and we can grow from there. And that was a collective, that was a conscious effort, obviously. We, went, we had this youth movement in 2021 with the men's national team selection. That's a conscious design, and that design is based on how they did in minor league cricket. So for me to hear people worrying now and, and rumors spreading now about men's selection for the T20 World Cup isn't going to include minor league considerations, is it going to conclude major league considerations? To me, that's absolutely crazy compared to how things have gone in the past and how things ought to be going. I think you're right. I think you have to include minor league and major league because you haven't had national T20 championships for this is the first one. This is really the first installment of them. So to judge everything off one tournament, I think is dumb no matter what sports you're in, no matter what country you're in. If you're judging things off one tournament, one trial, I don't think you're getting the best result. Think about if you jump to the NFL, not everything's judged based off the NFL combine and not everything's judged off of the pro day. Not everything's judged off of your college season. They, you combine everything and say, all right, what's the best available pick? 
the teams that ended up messing up in the draft are teams that look at that pro day, a Zach Wilson pro day, and say, wow, he moved to his left and threw to his right. We should pick that guy and didn't look at anything else. So if you do that, if you're a USA Cricket and go, okay, only these players played well in this national championship. Those are the guys who are going to get picked. But you've let go of three or to four years of really high-level cricket where they've played the best players in the country on mostly turf wickets now really since 2022 and 2023. And they have these stats, and they're, they're going to be players that really perform during the national championships and players that you think should be part of this team or could be and that, that don't perform. I think, yes, you shouldn't. this should be part of your reasoning why you pick guys, but yes, these other tournaments have to be. There's no way around that, and I think you're right because it would feel backwards because they've made the progress, right? You said it. You don't pick Butzel Vagella unless he's the leading wicket taker in the Pacific Conference in 2021 minor league season. You don't pick him, and they did pick him, so that has to be why, right? You don't pick a guy like Sai Mukamal for that ODI series, that ODI tri-series, unless there's mind league performances. Rahul Jadiwala, the same thing. You don't pick those guys, but they did pick those guys. And yes, they're young, they were up and coming, but it was their mind league performances that you would have said, hey, that justifies them being that team. There's no complaints with me to have them in that team versus somebody else. So you would hope that they continue that trend, use those minor league things and use those to get things going. But... Man, if if they if it's not, and it's just, hey, what you do with these nationals, that's all it is, which is scary because of some of the conversations I've had with some people in terms of them forcing individuals to play national championships and not play other tournaments because they're going to value those. Na- your spot's not going to guaranteed if you don't play nationals or whatnot. I think those things are very scary and dangerous for USA Korea. Yeah, especially because you have to make your zonal teams too. And I'm hearing that some of these zonal team trials are – based on net sessions indoors. That's just bananas. How do you pick a zonal team based solely on on that? Hopefully it's not based solely on that. Of course, go ahead and have a trial or whatever. Have some guys come out. But look, as we said so many times before, if you are picking a national, if you're picking a zonal team in the USA right now and you're in discovery mode, you're trying to discover new players and you don't already know what you have, you shouldn't be picking your zonal team. You, you, you're not qualified. You, you're you're just not qualified to. It, that just goes to show me that you're a complete brand new newcomer is what it sounds like to me. And that's not sure. where you put your your selectors. You don't put your selectors. Not, not in a World Cup year. Not in a World Cup year. No, not in a World Cup year. And and also, we don't know what the selection policy is going to be for the national championships for these zonal teams. We don't know who's going to be eligible for selection for these uh, teams. But I'm going to tell you what I think should happen. It's been two years since we had any men's national championships. It's been two, two over two years since we had any men's national championships, any format, and it was an ODI. It was, sorry, it was a 50 overs. When is our next national championship going to be? Okay, if, you, if you're going to do this every year, which we haven't even come close to, then you make it so that all of those players who become eligible at some point between now and the next nationals, those players should be eligible, in my opinion, to be in the national championships. Let's say you decide, and if you decide to do it a year and a half from now, Okay, then whoever who's going to become eligible within the next 18 months? All right, those guys are all eligible now for the national championship. And also, why don't we have a Colts team? We said this before, but why don't we have another team? Where are these in overseas guys that are eligible for USA? Where do they fit into the national championships? You're talking about a, the Cameron Steeles here, uh, who, who had a tremendous season uh, um, in county cricket. Where, what team is he going to play for? Are they going to find a place to play him on one of the three teams they have basically in the East? 
are they going to squeeze him into one of them? Because, okay, fine, if you're going to squeeze him into one of those teams. Uh, but suppose he wants to come and pl- play in the Nationals, and that's the route to the men's national team. And you don't want to discourage players like that who are who have, you know, who are already eligible for USA. You don't want to discourage them from playing. So where are you going to put them in? I want answers to those questions. I'd love to hear what USA Cricket has to say about that. But what are your thoughts there? I think it's interesting because on a, in a non-World Cup year, I think I'd completely agree with you in the sense that, yeah, we don't know when these are. So if you're going to have them, if it's every two years, whatever, you plan for that cycle to be out. I think because it's a World Cup year, I think that's where it can get a little bit tricky because you don't want to sacrifice someone who's eligible's opportunities for someone who maybe has, in six months, they're eligible and they're going to make the team whenever they become eligible, but yeah. they're not eligible yet. I think there's a balance to be had. And again, in a non-World Cup year, I completely agree with you. In a World Cup year where we know we got to pick guys that are going to be eligible, uh, you got you to gotta buckle down and focus in on those guys. I think, again, I think there's a balance to be had. But I also think if you're going to judge solely off this, then there's no point of sending a team to the World Cup anyway. You know what I mean? I think <laughs> it, 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 just be, it would just be like a slap in the face to everyone who's played domestic cricket for the last three years that, it only matters when you play it for us and nothing else contributes to to the selection process. So I, I do think right. that if you, you including other people from the cycle, maybe for the next cycle, might not be the worst idea if they're six months to two years away because we don't know when the next one's going to come. We don't know when funding is going to come. But again, the World Cup kind of deal. If, if we're going to use all these other tournaments, then I don't mind it. But if this is the sole tournament that we're going to use, then I think I'd push the brakes on letting guys who aren't eligible compete in it yeah yeah good great points the question i ask is if you have such ridiculous eligibility rules if you end up if we end up with some crazy eligibility rules and we end up with some crazy selection policies for the zone team zonal teams and therefore the national teams because if you're going to weigh the nationals this heavily then you have to get on a zone team zonal team just to even be considered if you're going to have all these crazy things that are like, yeah, we're going to, oh, yeah, we're going to choose the teams based on indoor net sessions. We're going to choose the teams based on only who's eligible today or whatever. If they do all these things, who does that help? Who thinks this is a good idea? Who out there really looks at this and says, this is good. This is a good idea. It only helps a few people. It doesn't help. It doesn't help cricket. It's not good for cricket. It, it, it's not meritocratic. And, and so you have to look at who does that benefit? Really, it only benefits the guys who are already on the national team. It makes it less likely to get them plucked off the national team. So they're probably not going to have terrible problems with it. You know, you can't blame them. But it's their spot. They want it. They they want their spot to be secure. But nobody else is going to like this. Nobody else should like this, except for the people who have immediate way of benefiting from it. And but yeah, we will find out. We're speculating a lot right now based on things we're hearing from people and worries that people are having. Whoever's listening to this, we got a lot of cricketers that listen to this in the USA. If you're an aspiring cricketer, you're trying to make the men's national team, and just keep going. You kind of ignore a lot of this stuff. Don't make, don't find new excuses based on the fears that people are spreading around. We're talking about this because we think it's possibly a reality. We're not talking about it because it is a reality. So just do your due diligence and don't let yourself fail because of your performances. I think, again, I, I think the Nationals, uh, this whole selection process is going to be interesting. I think if you're a player that's eligible, you got to do what you got to do at this point and put your best foot forward. It's all, you, if you can control what you can control, right? That's the brilliance of sports. If you control what you can control, more often than not, things are going to go your way. Yep. 
Thank you all for joining us. It was a great chat tonight, Amon. I once again I appreciate your time. And you just pretty much just got home from your trip, and <laughs> we connected. And there's an NFL game going on right now that I know you want to watch. And I've got hockey tonight. But but yeah, thanks for joining. No, thank you, Nate. It was, it's great. It's always good to be back on a beginning show, and hopefully we we get to do a live one of these pretty soon. Sure.